All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. And welcome back to part two of this, I think I call it ping pong, this uh, dance we have around uh, the outskirts of this deep thing. Uh, And uh, we haven't fallen into the whirlwind yet. The, the, (laughs) what you say, the rotation, the, what you call it in English, the, (laughs) you know, in the sea, in the sea when it goes around and around and around. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I know what you mean. The, mm You have those in Norway, right? Where the, the water spins down. Well, maybe out in the Northern Sea. We don't have that much extreme weather like that. Tornadoes and all that stuff. God is dealing that card more to <laughs> your country. Like but the eye of the hurricane. Yeah, hurricane <laughs> and stuff like that. But let's not talk about the weather. We'll never get done. <laughs> now, we have been today talking a lot about the sun side of this right you know that's what it's for we're talking about how we can learn about ourselves about the world how we can use it as a tool to transform but let's be honest Mm -hmm. we cannot get away from the fact that it can be abused also and you know, both of us have uh, something of a political bent. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should disclose uh, eventually now how it also... Because if they're not motivated, you know, many people listening may, may not have uh, an awakened inner spark. Maybe, yeah, so what? Uh, I'm pleased with whatever mm-hmm. life I have now. But there's another motive to understand uh, these things. And that is if you don't want to be controlled, if you don't want to be manipulated... <laughs> that's so you know yeah maybe you should say a few things about that and I know you touch upon it uh, in your movie too yeah and I use I use in the film for example on the section on archetypes in the film I use advertising well actually I use advertising in politics mm, exactly I, I mix them together I actually think that that's probably been the most popular section of the film that section on archetypes Because having worked in advertising, these archetypes and these narratives, if you aren't aware of them, they will be used to manipulate us completely. And this goes back to how humans function as animals. I mean, for example, when you look at sheep, why do sheep follow the shepherd? Because they think the shepherd is the alpha Sheep, (laughs) right? Hmm. That was one of the most transformative moments in my life. I was living on a farm and I was hanging out with the shepherd and he said, uh, hey, can you can you just hold on to the there was about 500 sheep. He's like, I got to go. I don't know. Do what he had to do. And all of a sudden you see 500 sheep all looking at me, those eyes all looking at me. (laughs) And I said, oh, my God. I'm Jesus. Well, well, hang on, hang on. <laughs> was that when he gave you his stuff? So we were, we were. I, it was such a bizarre day. But just to tell the end of the story, I was walking with him, yeah. And and the sheep, you know, the sheep are following him. Uh-huh. So we come close to the corrals, and but we're not in yet. So the sheep are outside waiting to come in. 
So they're not inside yet. And he had to go get something. He's like, I'll be back in three minutes. And he goes off. And all of a sudden, the sheep just look at me. And there they are. Trans- transference. Yeah, completely. <laughs> the psychology of transference. And there, I, and I understood Jesus. I'm like, I am Jesus to these sheep. I am yeah. the boss. So remember, we're animals. And that a concept of the alpha male as our leader is constantly used. I mean, when you go work in a corporation, when you understand that, that this is genetic, this is in our bodies, we look up to that CEO, he's got that big office there, he's the shepherd. Mm. And you see people immediately fall into their roles. Mm. Now, if I'm not saying that we should all be anarchists and we shouldn't have roles. Of course, we all need to have a role, but you need to be conscious of the fact that you're playing a role. And sometimes the narrative gets out of hand. And when the narrative gets out of hand, that's when you've got to be able to say, I'm a sheep, but not 100%. Hmm. And you can back out. Understanding this, if, if people aren't aware of this, They're going to be absolutely manipulated. I used to work in advertising. That was my job. Hmm. I would get people to change the thoughts. And then from the thoughts, different words would emerge in their mind. And then from those words, I could provoke actions, which were to buy my products. Yeah. Yeah, because it's all about the the evocation of the emotive response in the, well, in the sheep, actually. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. Because everybody knows, well, not everybody, but all manipulators know that, and I believe like like Hitler, he's a typical example of someone who could capture the masses. Oh my God, yeah. They knew very well, it's not about the information I'm sharing. I mean, he could, he could re- his powers of mesmerism were so great that he could probably recite baking recipes and they would still <laughs> seek high, right? Absolutely. It's, it's all Absolutely. about emotional response because that's what motivating us. Yeah, I mean, it's it, and it was in the film. I use a section from uh, the Munich Rallies by Lenny Rivenstahl, mm. and and she we, we shouldn't forget she was pretty powerful herself creating those films. I mean, it's amazing the way she was able to manipulate those archetypes, and those are powerful archetypes. And movies are nothing if not manipulation of archetypes and symbols <clears throat> in the viewer. Yeah, and why are American films so popular all over the world? Because they're so simple Mm. and basic. And they just pull out the, you know, they pull out the flag. They pull out, they understand how to play with those archetypes on a very basic way. Yeah, a very famous example is obviously uh, how Joseph Campbell was a direct consultant uh, during the Star Wars. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting you bring that up because I was just – I'm making a new film. Oh, and what's that about? Ooh, this one is going to uh, – this is going to be a simpler film, but it's going to be about the manipulation through the financial system, through the right. cultural system, through the spiritual system, and then a solution. Nice. So this this film is going to be much more – hopefully, it will be much more popular – in the sense, the message will be, I mean, I, the 21 faces of God was sort of a, you know, a labor of love and it's for few people. 
mm. for the people who get it, I think it's it works. Yeah, let's just exploit the opportunity while we're there. Uh, people, if you've been enjoying our little uh, back and forth here today, go to Robert's channel. Because I know you have a YouTube channel. It's not uh, that many people subscribing yet, but uh, you put out your stuff there, right? So what, what's the name of the channel? Is it just your name, Robert Bonomo? Right. Uh, yeah, it's it's got some weird. But just if you just put in the twenty one faces of God into YouTube, yeah, you can see the um, the film. Now the film's in twenty seven sections, so there's sort of a five introductory sections. Then no, you have an extended version. Right. So you can watch the whole thing. Yeah. Or you can watch it in sections. Right. And um, my my viewers would probably uh, prefer the whole. I, I would. <laughs> I I really do. I really do because. I, I'm a big fan of your show, and I've listened to almost all of them. Oh wow! I, I think cool. that your listeners would probably love to sit down for it's two hours and forty minutes. Get your favorite beverage or coffee or whatever you want. That's like part one of one of my shows. So yeah, peanuts. <laughs> and and what I try and do is that if for those, I think if people have enjoyed this conversation, once you get to the cards, I really do try and take you on that journey. So it's not just, well, this card means this and this card means that. It's the journey of the major arcana. And by the time you yeah. get to the end, hopefully you'll feel like you've you've been on that path. You know? mm. but, um, oh, get, get, but getting back to what you said. So on the new film, I was just using a clip, a fascinating little talk that Campbell gave to some students. And it was so interesting. And I think this is why all of this is so relevant today. He said – the myths, we don't have a myth. The world has become so interconnected. He said this in the early 80s. This is before the internet. Yeah. The world has become so interconnected that the community is global, but there's a big problem. There's no myth to cover a global community. We don't have a common global myth. So what, and it's very interesting what he said. It was very pressing. And he said, what we're going to do is we're going to fall into local myths. For example, at that time, it would have been this was during the Cold War. No, well, uh, the worker, the class myths I'm um, in the working class or ethnic myths hmm. or racial myths. And today, obviously, we have identity politics. Oh, God. Yeah. Those myths, hmm. all of that. So people are falling back into myths, but they're not so constructive, I think. I mean, I can give some examples. It might ruffle some feathers, but... Do it. Well, I, there's two that I like. One is the chemtrails myth. Now, I'm not saying I don't know enough about chemtrails, and I know there's some evidence of actually people putting things into the atmosphere. But really, is do we know that these these chemtrails are causing us to get depressed or give us allergies or make us watch Fox News? Probably not. <laughs> But a lot of people want to believe it. Hmm. And you see a lot of people, it's dogmatic materialism. They're diving all in. And on the other hmm. side of the spectrum, you know, the, the whole climate change thing. Oh, God, you know, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, a hurricane, it's climate change. It's snowing, it's climate change. Of course, climate change. But if, if you understand the complexity of those systems, it, it, they're very complex. But the climate change dogma religion, that has become a religion. It's become a myth. Mm. So we have the climate change myth, the chemtrail myth, the conspiracy myth here, the other conspiracy myth there. 
and, and oh my God, when you can get to some extremes, you know, the flat earth myth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the one everybody enjoys um, kicking down, right? But they don't realize they have their own flat earth in no Absolutely. sense. And, and I think, <laughs> yeah. I don't think we should attack the flat earth, but we should understand it is a myth. Hmm. I would even go as far as to say 9-11 is a myth. Yeah, but then again, a myth doesn't necessarily mean a lie, which is has that's the modern understanding, which is so wrong right. in in terms of the original meaning, right? Absolutely, it's a narration of something in existence, symbolic narration. And with when you look at it that way, the chemtrail myth is true, because maybe it, it, the myth works beautifully: planes flying over dropping this weird stuff on us and it's changing the way we think that's what culture is doing today Mm. and truth you know truth people also mix that with facts a fiction may have a lot of truths although there's no facts there and in the same way myths can work and and sometimes myths can be interpreted as facts but there are truths in that myth but it's no facts in that myth you see what i mean Absolutely. And if you look at, if you look at, for example, the flat earth myth, there is truth in that myth. There is a lot of truth in that myth. As long as you can detach, do you see what I mean? You you don't take it literally. Mm. If you take it literally, it's like taking Christianity literally. Mm -hmm. The flat earth myth is fascinating because why has that caught on? And it's caught on in a way. I've seen people get really angry at me in my film because I show a globe. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it takes nothing these days. Yeah. And, 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 they, and what, what actually what they're missing is they've become fundamentalists. Yeah, yeah. These binary exactly. drones, they, they can only think in binary. Yeah. They can only think that. If Jesus did not. Rise from the dead, you know, you're going to, if you don't believe that, you're going to hell. Yeah. But of course, but that's like saying there's no truth in the Christian myth, which is absurd. Mm. So I I think that we're in an extremely dangerous moment right now because all of the myths are falling apart. They're all falling apart. I'm being replaced by new ones, which are much, much... (laughs) Stupid, and but unbelievably <laughs> stupid. If you take them literally, if you take them literally, you know, I want to take a, a little uh, pause there and point out something important because you said that uh, we were talking about how things can be used and abused, and the ancient myths had the intention of raising us, yeah. While while the modern myths seems to be have the intention of serving uh, not the whole. But parts of the whole egos or, or elites or whatever you want to say keep us down. You see what I mean? Is a, is a myth can be used for liberation or suppression, and I think suppression is taking over on that area today, yeah. which is also makes it more important for people to go back to the roots and do study the original ones if they want to be liberated. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Like for example, take the seven days of the week. How many people, if you ask them? Why do we have seven days and what do they signify? I mean, it's, it's terrifying to think how many people have no idea that this is connected to seven planets. Yeah. 
and that each day is one of the planets. Mm. Pythagorean tradition. In fact, you know um, Jocelyn Goodwin? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's an academic. And, you know, academics would never make claims like what I'm going to quote now mm-hmm. uh, if they didn't have backup. He said that Pythagoras' lineage is probably the one esoteric initiatory lineage in the Western world today mm-hmm. that can be tracked back to ancient times. Most are either reconstructions or <laughs> pure inventions. or. Mm-hmm. But here we have, uh, I'm not saying organizations per se have survived, but direct lineage of initiates can be tracked back to the ancient Pythagoreans. Yeah, because my film has tons of it, so it's... Pythagoras would be fundamental in in this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's everywhere. So, so yeah, he's the Pythagorean ideas of number and number connected to archetype. It absolutely fascinates me, and I think that's something you seem to be interested in. Oh yeah, about the number stuff because I, I really think that that's that's where the meat is. Yeah, you can track this. The problem for historians, but you know, Goodwin is a brilliant guy. But the problem for historians is to record. They only look at the outer stuff, right? So mm-hmm. when you see this tradition in history, it pops up everywhere with different names. Like uh, in the 1700s, it called themselves the tab- tobaccoists because oh. they were under the guise of worshipping tobacco. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like tobacco club, but when you went into the back room, that's where they were worshipping fire. Oh, I see. Yeah. So to tobacco, the friends of the nicotine. It's had many names throughout. In fact, it almost died out. I think it was in the 18th century. It was only three people left, Mm. but it got a new boost after that. So, yeah, it's a very old, I would say a Pythagorean uh, tradition, yes. That's one of the reasons I was fascinated by your stuff. You've come to many of these realizations without the help of, uh, I'm assuming, an initiatory. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, I, I haven't had that. That uh... It's not needed, but, you know, I think it's Stephen Holler who said, actually, I think he said, you need both the, you know, you have the air-earth axis, which is the feminine axis, mm-hmm. although air is masculine and earth is feminine. By the way, earth is plus and minus, and air is minus and plus, but you have that axis, which we could call, uh, that's the... That's the vertical axis, which we could call mm-hmm. heritage. Now, groups who only have that are museums, you know, like the Masons. Mm-hmm. Okay, they have. That's the danger of it. They have an old and ancient uh, heritage, maybe, but it's dead inside. So that's not enough. That then it becomes a, a museum. And he said, you also need a fire water. That's mm-hmm. fire is double plus, water is double minus. That's the inner connection. Now, groups who have that, they may not have a heritage, right? But they at least have, you know, it could be new age group, or whatever. It can be good groups, right, but they right, right. lack, they have to reinvent the wheel. They don't have the freebies of heritage, of tradition. But if you have both the vertical and the horizontal line, then you get the rota. Oh, okay. The cross in the circle. That's so well, interesting. The, I like the way I like the way you because you see that in the New Age stuff. There are completely no connection to the earth. No tradition. No. Yeah. No, no tradition. Nothing. And they float a little bit. Yeah. So you need both, right? Yeah. Then you can bring in. We can talk about both sides of it. Because that's the and the danger of old groups is that they lose the inner connection and then they won't survive. Right. If they right, survive, right. it's just a bleak image of what it was. You need that vitality. Right. right. 
So obviously one of the reasons it survived is extreme, I don't know if I want to say secrecy per se, but confidentiality. It's low key. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, personal. It's in no advertisement, no money focus. As soon as, you know, you get these things, an organization will degenerate. It will attract people who have other motives, you know. Right, right, right. Interesting. And this is it worldwide? Yeah, but it's just small groups. We're not talking about thousands of people. We're talking about networks of... Hundreds. Yeah, probably. Well, it seems very interesting. Yeah. No, it's it's very interesting now that those kind of groups still exist. Yeah, you wouldn't think so. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if it, it all died out, the impulse would survive. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not the heritage that's more important. It's more like the deep work on a Pythagorean level. Exactly. Exactly. And I, you know, I keep on all the work I do, it always goes back to number. Yeah. You can't escape it. We could have a full show just about numbers. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting, too. I was talking. Who was I talking? And I remember I, I mentioned the connection between number. I said, you know, it all goes back to music. Yeah. And I remember there was this long silence. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I don't think he got that. Yeah. A lot of people don't get that. No. But you're right. The the sort of the Western tradition, I just think it doesn't resonate with all the people. No. Let so, me recommend one thing, though. If yep. you can get Farrell on. And mm-hmm. just do number and music, even if you don't, even if it's just like an hour, an hour and a half, because yeah. he he has that musical background. I know, and you have, and you have the whatever background, the yeah. background, yeah, that background. And if you <laughs> if you can dance around it, because I would love to pick his brain about music, because he actually performs. So I mean, oh, yeah. he he understands that. And I think you guys could do a great show on music. You know, there is one show he did with the Byte Show back in the day, which is the best show he ever did. But he did so many, and I'm I haven't had time to find out which one it was. No, no, of course. He of goes course. into the he talks about the first unified field theory in history, known history by Pythagoras. Mm-hmm. He goes into the mystical thing about music uh, and magic, and it's just an amazing show. But you mean the ones he did with that woman? Yeah, but he did hundreds with, with her. Georgiana. Yeah, yeah, but he did so many with her. So this is one specific. Oh, my God. I've listened to – when I found him, I, I listened to – you're right. He, I think he did maybe 50, 20 shows with no, her. No, much more, much more. Yeah, yeah. And is but it one they, of those shows? Yes, in one of those, it's a, just a pearl of a show. And I have to retrieve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my intention, it's funny you mention it, because my intention is to have the time to retrieve it, find out which one it was. Excellent. In fact, when I heard it the first time, I was thinking of transcribing it and making it into an article and sharing it. Cool. Because this was gold. But I've never had the time going back. So it's funny you mention it, because I was thinking of doing that, finding that, and then having him on. Yes. And going through the exact same thing. And I think he would be I think he would be very interested in doing that. Yeah, because nobody can do it with him, right? So Exactly, exactly. Because there's so much there that that connection. If people understood that, it just opens it opens so many doors. Indeed. But not all things are meant like with Cliff. We've done three subjects. Mm-hmm. The first one was Antarctica. Everybody can listen to that, right? Right. The second one was about consciousness. That got one-tenth interest. Right. But it's still accessible. It's nothing too esoteric. But people are not that interested in... in but that was probably the most interesting one, I think, with Cliff, wasn't probably. it? Probably. Yeah. But then we had one about death. 
That's not out on YouTube yet, but if you're into the website, you can see it there. And I predict that we'll have one-tenth of the even consciousness audience because we go deeper and deeper. And that's how it is. Oh, I'll listen to that one. I haven't listened to that one, yeah. No, you'll you'll probably like it. It it reminds me of the old saying. I think it goes like this. uh, Small minds talk about persons. Themselves. Yeah, personalities. Average mind talk about events. And great mind talk about ideas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly, exactly. In in Russian, in Russian, they say uh, small people talk about themselves. Average people talk about uh, other people. Right. And great minds talk about ideas. Right. Pretty similar. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pretty similar. Right. Interesting. But yeah, the whole Western thing. I remember. I remember that long silence. I'm like, it's all about music, brother. <laughs> Music is strong in Vedic too, you know? Yeah, like the ragas and all that. Yeah, and and also they have a lot of teachings about, you know, the metaphor of music and and stuff. So, intonations, I mean, mantras. Right, yeah, that's true. Singing bowl is used in the East at least. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas we are more like Egyptian and Greek in roots. But it's at the end of the day, it's the same thing. But like I said, it's much easier to to approach symbolism through Egyptian and Greek. I I think it is. I think it's much easier. Yeah. Yeah, And it gives it a whole it gives it a different rhythm, a different flavor, I think. And I think that's something that we have to kind of all not all of us, but you, you know what I mean? That to push what we're kind of pushing Mm. I really, I believe in a profound way is gonna eventually resonate with people. Yeah, and and it's it's gonna replace what we have now because when you, from a metaphorical standpoint, if everything is metaphor, mm. the Abrahamic religions they they're quite limited. <laughs> yeah, but although I have deep respect for their mystic heart, like Sufism, Kabbalism, and Gnosticism. Right? Sure. Absolutely. You know, according to Peter Kings yeah. and his work, there are a lot of Pythagoreanism surviving in Sufism. Right, right. No, absolutely. And in Druidism, for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. I get so, that. by the way, but it's a tragedy that uh, I think it's so easy. It's very hard, I think, to exploit Buddhism and Hinduism as easily as you can exploit the uh, Abrahamic religions. <laughs> exactly. They are just waiting to be abused. Oh my God! It's just I'm perverted. Yeah, and 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 they're so primal and material yeah. that it's just so easy. It's just so easy to convert the 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 symbol into some material, political, social movement. And I th- I think you're right. I think it's much harder to do with Buddhism or um, Hinduism. Mm. Yeah. Although human nature, being human nature, anything can be <laughs> perverted <laughs> and turned into a religion. But, yeah, but you have to make a stretch at least, a further stretch in the more pure, especially the nature-based things like Taoism and um, Buddhism. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard to make the exorcist a Buddhist exorcist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. But if we can bring this, tie it back into myth. Sure. I sure. mean, it, it's a fascinating topic. And the origins of it and what it means. Yeah. Like, why, why is all of this stuff important? And what I found with, for example, Hollywood, for example, which is the myth, ma- the, the, one of the great myth factories of the world, is they're, they're bringing us farther and farther, farther down to a pure material existence. Mm. Meaning is romantic relationships and success in battle or in 
business or in art. That's it. Mm -hmm. There is nothing transcendent in that message. And it's, it's, it's stullifying that whole spiritual need that people have. People are so hungry for a true myth mm -hmm. for the old. And I say, go back to the older stuff because it's there, it's waiting and it's, you and I can contest. I mean, you and I can say that it may take some effort, but once you kind of break through, it's it's unbelievably rich. You don't need Hollywood. Mm. And you can take Hollywood for what is. No, there's a, yeah, there's a reason Hollywood is lifting from those <laughs> that rich ocean, right? Because they can't invent. They can only pervert. Exactly. Exactly. And think about the brands. I mean, where have the gods? Where have the gods gone? The gods are dead. The gods aren't dead. They're they're living in these brands. The Nikes and the Chanel's and the Ferraris and right. the BMWs. Those are those are where the god they've put the gods. Hey, hey, Tesla is Hermes. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah, in a way, I mean, God, when you watch Musk, sometimes it's it's almost like with Musk and the when you combine the sort of that personality of his with the brand, it almost is he's almost like an archetype. But you worked in advertisement. I read somewhere that the roots of advertisements is actually so-called black magic. Now, mm -hmm. obviously, black magic meaning then uh, the manipulation of nature laws to serve a selfish impulse or, or, or goal. Um, oh, do, do you square that? Oh, of course. I mean, that's what it is. Mm. I mean, what is magic, really? It's manipulating the environment. Using symbols and language. Hmm. And what's fascinating is in advertising, especially modern advertising, we add the number element to it. Hmm. So I put, put on an Excel sheet, this sigil, for example, if I can, if I can create a ceremony, no, not a ceremony, but it is in a sense presented to X millions of people. I can get a certain percentage of them to buy something they absolutely don't need or want. Hmm. They, but I can make them want it. I can create hmm. the desire in them. That's magic. Exactly. No one is born with a desire for a new sofa. <laughs> <laughs> it is, like you say, it's all created. It's evoked by someone else. And that's, it's so important as a tool for liberation to realize symbolism and mythology and all this stuff. Because once you become aware, no matter where you are, you'll see it in play. Sure. You you mentioned the most, and we haven't even exemplified mm. politics, but you mentioned politics and advertisement. But yeah. I'll take a little less uh, obvious uh, examples too. Like when you enter a supermarket, people are not aware, unless they work there, of course, that nothing there is coincidental. Everything from how it's arranged, mm. what's placed where, It's all deliberate and it's all placed there for you to empty your pockets. And if you come to a hospital, I don't know in America, I think it's the same there, but here at least it's like even the colors of the walls are deliberate. Sure. You know, we, we can talk about feng shui and stuff like that, but, but in, in, in a basic level, they make everything so that they want to achieve a reaction. It doesn't have to be sinister, of course, mm -hmm. but it's nonetheless you being influenced without being aware of it. 
Yeah, and a great a great uh, example of that are banks. When you walk in with those high ceilings, right, and the big sometimes they used to have those sort of neoclassic columns, and you walk through because this is a sacred place, and what I'm giving you is something that is sacred. Yeah, this is a fucking temple. It's not something that's been pulled out of the air and given to you and told you to pay back with interest. So when you walk in, it's a sacred place. Hmm. And it's interesting, our most sacred places now are probably financial institutions. Yeah. So bank robbers are really iconoclasts. <laughs> <laughs> they are the masters of this. They really are. Because yeah, they are. They, they, they have taken all of this sort of spiritual, archetypical imagery and just smashed it into a building so that you go in because it, it really is. It, it's fascinating when you when you sign those papers and everyone's in a suit and then you say, OK, you have to pay this back because, you know, this is money. But it's interesting. You know, how many people go into a bank and say, well, what exactly is money and what are you giving me and, and how, how, where did you get it? Hmm. Because if you ask those questions and they say, well, we were actually creating it out of the promissory note that you just gave us. <laughs> yeah, money, money is symbols, right? Right, right. Symbols of energy. Yeah, money is the most powerful archetype in the world. Is money, mm. without a doubt. You know the Israeli historian, what's his name, Yuval Harari. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but when he talks about money, it's fascinating. He says it's the best, most powerful narrative in the world, because from Saddam Hussein to George Bush, everyone believes in the dollar story. And those who don't believe, well, they're going to be forced into the fold. Yeah. How are you going to pay the water bill, right? right. <laughs> well, I was more thinking about countries who, who depart from the dollar. They're being crushed. Absolutely. But yes, when you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, you don't want to get into politics. But No, no, no. Not today. But, but you know what I mean, that no. those narratives are so fundamental to the world. Hmm. Imagine just, just one just quick thing into politics. The dollar narrative. If people stopped believing that story, can you imagine the the chaos? Mm. But I don't. I don't mean chaos in confusion. I mean chaos in deaths by hunger of mm. millions, hundreds of millions of people. Dissolution of yeah. all, of structure. Mm. So when people say, "Well, unless they replace it with another myth, like let's say Bitcoin or whatever," but but there's going to be a transition. Mm. And in that transition period, but so that's why when people say, why are archetypes so important? Why are narratives? Because remember, narratives are archetypes. The narrative of the dollar allows the world to function. Mm. If one day people said, you know what, I, 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 this dollar thing, I'm not so sure about it. I'm not going to plant crops this year. I'm going to cut back on what we make in the factory. I'm not going to send out the fishing boats this year. Imagine what would happen, how quickly that would just collapse the world into chaos. Mm. So when we talk about these archetypes, are they important? They're not important. They're fundamental. Mm. More fundamental than the actual material world. Yeah. Yeah. They're more real. Yeah. Because uh, what's real is not... I can't say the the thing in itself. Uh, What's real is what we imagine about these things. That's what we're acting upon. 
Yeah. I mean, nobody knows the essence directly anyway. We are not wired to to access it directly. We need these middle levels that, for example, symbols are. Yeah, we, so, yeah, I totally agree with you. This is the, the definition of reality. Uh, completely. They're the intermediary between our physical, just the, the meat and cells and the life we live. Without them, it does not work. Hmm. It doesn't function. And in politics, I mean, oh my God, messiahs, demonization. We have oh. all the religious stories being repeated there. <laughs> Want to give some examples of how how politics is using this? Well, yeah, I mean, well, let, let's take the trickster motif. Mm. Because the current president of the United States <laughs> <I knew it. laughs> is absolutely playing out the trickster motif and the, the the beauty of the trickster is he 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 charges everything he gets mm. people angry he's over sexualized and he just charges the environment mm. and and look how this guy was able i think intuitively to play that role yeah intuitively i agree intuitively he understood that playing this role was what and, and when does the trickster appear in times of crisis when things have to be you you got to shake things up obviously you don't want a trickster for example 1950s america we don't want a trickster president mm. you need sort of that emperor right the mm. staid calm but now we need a trickster because things things are not going right and that energy that trickster energy if people understood him as the trickster they could stop getting so angry and say, okay, okay, this, this is, this, this is the trickster doing what the trickster should do. It's not something we want forever, but it shakes the boat. Mm-hmm. No, I, I give a concrete example. For example, he's famous for, and he's also famous for being the only one who can get away with it, but he's famous for, uh, how you say it in English, not talking out of your ass, but like saying one thing and then saying the opposite thing. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah I mean. Classical. Oh, God, yes. He'll say anything. Yeah, but even when he even goes to the polls, I mean, <laughs> all politicians will say anything, but he he gets away with it too, by the way. <laughs> it's amazing. So that's so it's Loki. Amazing. That's so, that's it's so. It's totally Loki. Yeah. It's Loki 100%. Yeah. Like, what was that story of Loki with the, um, oh, um, what was the goddess? Uh, Freya. Where she protected her son from everything except that green thing that grows in the winter? What's it called? The, um, ah, that people kiss under in at Christmas? Oh, a mistle, mistletoe? Except the mistletoe. Right. So he found the mistletoe and killed the son. <laughs> <laughs> That's Trump. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he had to find it. Where is it? And also you see it in Trump in the sexuality. He's, you know, he's a, a, a total philanderer. Right. Sto- I mean, what presidents could get away with having all of these girlfriends? Right. But with Trump, it imp- people are almost like, well, of course, he's the trickster. He's got to have, you know, three or four girlfriends running around. And, and you're just talking about the 21 faces of God. Well, the face of God that he manifests is Janus. 
Is that how you say it in English? Janus? Oh, Janus, right. Janus. Right, the two faces. Look, one looking yes. right, one looking to yeah. from January. January is Janus. Yeah. No, one looking forward, one looking back. And, you know, to his um, uh, fans, to his supporters, to his uh, crusaders, mm-hmm. it's the light side. Exactly. To his detractors or haters, obviously, it's the dark side. And, and both are projecting without realizing it. And he's just moving through this cheese. This, I mean, he's such. Both he and Hillary were enormous projection machines. Yeah, I've never seen any politicians in modern time, maybe back in the day, but in modern times, being so projected upon, both by the enemies and the supporters. Absolutely, absolutely. And if people, if people could look at that and understand what they're projecting. It, it it would really help them to sort of move move beyond that. Yeah. So when you watch when you watch, for example, political uh, media, you see that people are absolutely um, possessed. They're possessed by their projections. Mm. They, they're. I mean, the New York Times has become ridiculous. It's almost unreadable. Yeah. And I remember reading the New York Times, and, and it just you know. Good writing, reason, logic. Now it's become absolutely insane. Yeah, two reasons for that. Internet has taken over, soothsaying. So these degenerate old media has nothing but... And, and the second is CIA has taken over. <laughs> these outlets. Yeah, they've been in power for a while. Yeah, that's for sure. But yeah, I, I agree. Continue. But I just, I just want to say that what's important about what we're talking about is... I think we've given a few examples here of how these narratives and, you know, like like with Trump, if you don't understand these archetypes and you look at Trump as the devil or you look at him as the savior, Hmm. you're going to be you're not going to understand the situation. But when you see him as the trickster, then you can just back up and say, oh, my God, in what situations does the trickster appear? Hmm. And what is the role of the trickster? And then you can understand the situation, the moment. And that's how you can make good decisions. Mm. At least you're not projecting anymore. Exactly. exactly. And that's the goal of advertisement, politics. Uh, I'd say you go to religions too, you know, sure. not spirituality, but religions. Everybody wants you to give their energy, your energy to them. They are dependent upon you projecting and what's the best tool, the best instrument uh, to trigger projections? Symbols, symbolism. Absolutely. So, so let's say Trump has to play uh, up to his uh, followers. So he creates this uh, notion of, oh yeah, there's hordes, you know, the wall, you know, Game of Thrones. Right. Yeah, the White Walkers are coming. The White Walkers are coming. Only this here, they're coming from the south. <laughs> you know? Absolutely, the wall. Uh, and people follow into these it's things. Fascinating. Yeah. And you know, the other guy who plays into this with much more brilliance is Putin. Mm. Putin has played. Oh, but but if if Trump is instinctive, I think Putin is more deliberate. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think he understands better this game mentally. And he uses the symbol. Like when you watch Putin, when he when they takes the, when he walks up that staircase. I use that in the film. You know, and all the soldiers looking at him. Yeah, I and saw Putin that. is very smart. Where he plays the game of of 
of encapsulating that whole idea of the czar. It's it's like half czar, half mm. Stalin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he's choosing to both push the revolutionary, the, the Soviet yes. period vibe and the czarist vibe, and that way he can appeal to more of his people. Yes, yes, and it's amazing how some days he's more Stalin, and some days he's more <laughs> czar, and he he you have I mean. The man is absolutely br- – well, I think it's the people around him, but him, he also has an instinct for that. that is, yeah. It's scary. It's terrifying. No, but he came from the intelligence uh, right. background. He knows – he understands this game totally. Yeah. He, and I, that's why I think I, – I, I totally agree with what you said. He is so much more deliberate about it. But Trump just works on instincts. It's just instinct for him. I don't think if you asked him what a trickster is, I don't think he would even know. Uh, and Clinton could only dream of having those instincts because the thing with her was that she was so easy to see through because she's clumsing. She doesn't master it instinctively. She's lost in, in that bubble. She tries to yeah. be a Putin, but she fails like she's neither a Trump nor a Putin. Absolutely. That was her mistake. Mm. If she had just taken a role on – because. I mean, she's a brilliant woman. I have no doubt that she's very brilliant, but she's not a good actress. No. She's not a good actress. And so you've got to take on the role and know what role you need to play. Right. And 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 and, and that's that's what all of this is about when you see you, you see the roles and you understand what roles people are are taking on. But I think what we're talking about to bring it back to the spiritual level We're at a crisis now. Yeah, the tower, would you say? Oh my God, I, I think absolutely. And just, I mean, when you think of the tower, what? And I, I don't know if you remember what I used in the film for the tower, but I used uh, Building Seven. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, did the Lord of the Rings movie come out before nine uh, eleven? Do you remember? That's a. It did. Because I'm, I'm now wondering if life is imitating art or the opposite, because you have the two towers in Lord of the Rings, right? That's a good question. I, I, I want to say, uh, you know what, I, I don't. But what did come out before 9-11 for sure was the Fight Club. And that last oh. scene in Fight Club, remember I began the, the section on the towers with, that. remember right. the last scene in Fight Club with all the towers collapsing? Right, right. And it's very scary. That last shot I used, there are two towers left. And they both collapse together. Right. And then, of course, you've got the Matrix that was there and the Truman Club right before that 9-11 period. Right. So it, when you look at those films, that, that that's, you know, just those three films, 1997, 98, 99, right in that period. Yeah. And remember, I think you're old enough to remember that period from as an adult, no? Yes, yes. Do you remember the optimism in the late 90s? Yeah. It was like, I was working in the internet at that time, and it was like, we've solved the riddle of life. Yeah. It's it's just, it's all going to be one big internet game. Yeah, yeah. The 80s had like a superficial optimism. Yeah. The 90s were more like, okay, we, we fell down, we got a hard beating, but now we're finally going in the right direction. A deeper kind of optimism. Yeah, the optimism was, I mean, people forget, I mean, Bill Clinton, when Bill Clinton was president, the U.S. had a, had a budget surplus. There were basically no wars going on. Which tarot card would you assign to his image? Oh, he's. Oh, I think he's the magician. Mm. 
uh, yeah, he's just an absolute alchemist. Mm. He was a brilliant politician for his time, for his time. Mm. His time has passed, obviously. Oh, yeah. For sure. But at that time, he could do almost no wrong. But then again, you could have had you could have made me the president in 1997, and things probably would have gone okay. I mean, it was just that moment. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get it. Yeah, I mean, you can put. A, I think a monkey could have been president yeah, at that time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the optimism. I, I, that's what I, I just. I just wish millennials could understand that optimism at that time. Yeah, but and, it was the same in the 60s. But but the 60s. Remember, we had the Vietnam War. We yeah. had big culture wars in 1997, 98. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, the, the, there was no Soviet Union. No, not not so much polarity as back then. Yeah. But I say 9-11 was our JFK. Yeah, absolutely. And I think absolutely. even many of the same forces was behind that setback. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So they need to put a break on this thing here. We need to channel it in another direction, in a darker alchemical direction, so to speak. What gets me so angry about 9-11 is that optimism in the late 90s. It seemed that the world, there was so much potential in the world, and it's almost like the Archons, and I'm just going to say it this way, the Archons said, no, Mm -hmm. we've got to go back to the way it used to be. We've got a new enemy, this stuff about no cold war, peace, Mm. prosperity. It's got to end. And just like you said, the 1950s, I mean, when JFK was president, the optimism of Mm. that moment, Mm. that pre JFK, I mean, remember JFK was talking about ending the cold war. Oh yeah. He, He was painting visions going to the moon was unheard of. Yeah, and remember, he was having secret correspondence with Khrushchev. And yeah. This is not it's conspiracy. These are no, no. physical letters that yes, were being yes. passed with him. And they were writing, they were talking about, you know, life and, and you know, on a, on just sort of a, a level like, you know, we can, we can live in this world. Those two would single-handedly have dismantled the Cold War if, if they were allowed oh, to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, and they killed Kennedy and Khrushchev got taken out, what, yep. moved out? Yep. They both had. And that's the thing I'm trying to explain often about the false dichotomy. People think it's, let's say, left against right or Israel, yeah, the that. Zionism against Hamas. No. There is battle, but the battle isn't in the outer expression. That's when you are one of these sheeps being lured by symbolism. The real battle is within, let's say, on the fanatical Israel side, mm-hmm. you want the conflict to go on. On the fanatical Palestine side, you want the conflict to go on. In other words, those two agree. Sure. They need each other as the good enemy. The real enemy are the people on the on their own so-called side who wants reconciliation. That's what people never can get. They can't get past the labels. Yeah, and and so in the same way that, that you like Khrushchev and JFK were on the same side, and then they had their own military and their, their own deep state. Absolutely, that were agreeing with. You see, that's so important to get to blow up this false dichotomy thing and open your eyes and recognize the energies behind thing. And if you study archetypes and symbolism, you will start recognizing the energy, and then you can talk about. And I'm saying this poetically because I'm not religious. Mm-hmm. Then you can talk about Satan in the world. Then you can see the satanic movements. It's not where you think it is. It's never 100% one side or one label or one color or whatever. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I was brought up in the 70s and the 80s in the Cold War. And the the concept of the other was perfectly embodied by the Soviet Union. They were the perfect enemy. And it's very interesting. Later in life, I actually was I was a teacher in Russia. Obviously, in the post-Soviet period. I I lived there for over five years. Which city? And when you get – I lived in in the Far East in Kamchatka. Oh, wow. And so once you get to understand – you know, when you first get there, you think, well, the Soviet Union was so evil. But then you realize, you know, people were just people. Hmm. It wasn't so bad. And, you know, they had their life, their system. But the idea of them being the other – All that energy controls us. But like you said, if Kennedy and Khrushchev had come to some agreement and said, you know what? You guys want to be communists? Fine. We'll be capitalists. Let's just keep it under control with the war part. Mm -hmm. And everyone can do what they want. There's not a a good and a bad. But using those archetypes of the other, the evil, the devil, Mm -hmm. the shadow, which is actually the shadow. We projected our shadow on them, and they projected their shadow on us. Yeah. And if, if people understand this, they need to do – those shadows are still there. Since we're tying it into popular references, again, I want to go to Lord of the Rings because although at the surface of it, it's a pretty simple story with black and white, mm-hmm. evil and good, right. but not so much if you consider the ring. Because, yeah, everybody agrees Sauron is the enemy. But remember what happens when people take on the ring? You can't say it's the elves against uh, whatever because even an elf would become corrupted from within. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. the shadow is inside of all of us. And we have to recognize who is maneuvering out of that and who is man- who wants to break the ring and who wants to control the ring. Absolutely. Yeah. But how many Americans – I mean I think a lot of young Americans maybe don't understand that when we pull out the Russia card. Yeah. The whole shadow thing that appears – and Putin has played this – to the Russian people brilliantly because Russia has a lot of problems, enormous problems, mm. but he plays the shadow card and they all unite. But it's easy for him because uh, this pathetic McCarthyism 2.0 mm-hmm. that we see now, and so he, even a child can recognize the insanity of it. So if he needs an outer enemy to control his inner power, then it's a gift to, to him that they are trying, you know, this Russia gate thing and all this bullshit. Oh my God. And, and you know, people don't understand that. That that the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, what they're doing is propping up Putin. Hmm. If the Americans said, you know, Russia, you guys can do whatever you want. You're our friends. Sell us your oil. We'll sell you all sorts of stupid stuff you don't need and we'll all be happy. Putin would collapse. He would be gone. It's all totally connected to those those shadow concepts. Mm. And it's interesting. The archetypes work best unconsciously. Yeah. Yeah. They tend to, in the sun, like in our myths about trolls, uh, the narration is that the troll has to get underground or into the cave before the sun comes up. Ah, right. So many of us, our folk tales is about how this young boy, always the, Mm -hmm. not the anti-hero, always the underdog, 
uh, he manages to get the troll, tricks the troll until the sun comes, and then they pop, they explode in the sun. And that's, right, and that's consciousness yep. on the shadow. Exactly. And in the Celtic myth, it's the same thing, the fairy hill. They're hidden in the hill. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I didn't that's, know that. Interesting. And, you know, that that's why this path is so important, because because when you can accept the archetypes consciously, that's when they become transcendent. Mm. They don't tie you to the material world. They unleash you. Mm. And you mentioned uh, Matrix. Mm-hmm. It would be almost criminal not to mention the fact that Matrix is designed upon Gnostic myths. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a it's total rip Gnostic myth. It's, it is. It's, it's, they don't even hide it. Over the Oracle's door <laughs> said... Uh, right. It, it said a Latin version of Gnosis Auton. Uh, I forgot it now. Yes, uh, yes. Right, right. Yeah. She says, look behind you, and it says, yes. Right, exactly, exactly. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's an absolute Gnostic myth. But what's interesting is... Why that film at that time? Yeah. Perfect timing. The timing was absolutely amazing. And, you know, I, my feeling is those, well, now they're sisters, but they used to be brothers. I don't think they wrote that film because I've Mm -hmm. looked at the rest of their work and the rest of their work is pretty mediocre. No, I read this. No, there's uh, there's uh, court cases about that. It's uh, in fact, I think it's a black woman who claims she wrote the book that they ripped off. Yes, and that went to court. And it, but I don't know if have, if you watch their other films and even the Matrix two and three, the Matrix trilogy. I think those movies are are pretty mediocre. Hmm. And then they made they've made. If you look at the body of their work. I'm not sure. You can mention examples. Um, or what was the one they made? V for Vendetta. Oh yeah, yeah. But they obviously. made the th- the three makes the makes a trilogy. Yeah, but 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 that's easy. Then the Jupiter Jupiter Rising. Okay, but but hang on, v- Jupiter Rising was horrible. Two seconds. V for Vendetta is a genius wrote that. That's Alan Moore, I think. Right, but but the film, yeah, they didn't write. But the film, you know, it was it was. I'm not saying it was a bad film, but. They could, said, could have been done better, probably, but I mean, it's the first attempt we got at it, and it did have a strong cultural impact, at least. Yeah. I mean, there wouldn't be an anonymous movement if it wasn't for that movie. But yeah, but like you said, they didn't write that film. I mean, the story did wasn't from them, but they said that the Matrix story was entirely from them. Mm. And I, I have a hard time. It, it just doesn't. It doesn't seem to fit for me. Because that film works on so many levels. It's a really good film mm. on a lot of different levels. Mm. And, um, you know, there's another really good Gnostic film that's not at all popular, but I, I, I really like a lot. Did you ever see The Adjustment Bureau? Uh, yes. Hang With on. Matt Damon as the senator. And and they have the, the archons. It's really... Right. It's, it's something about stopping time and, and there's some people moving. Yeah, the archons are moving yes, between time. With yes, with the doors. They yes. open those doors. Yeah. That was another very good Gnostic film. Mm. It wasn't that popular, but it, it also it also takes that Gnostic. And, of course, The Truman Show was extremely Gnostic. What's that? Is that the one who surveilled all the time? 
Jim Carrey? Right. The G- Jim Carrey's in the TV show. Right. And, right. and God is in the moon. Well, the director is in the moon. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, but you, you mentioned V for Vendetta. Uh, so yeah. Talk about symbolism having impact, huh? Oh, my God. From, you know, from the Gezi Park demonstrations in Istanbul to the hackers in, in America, yeah. everybody's used, and, and, and the trolls online, of course, even we uh, use that symbol of Guy Fawkes. Yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, ties into a whole lot of other ancient, uh, not ancient, but early mysteries in the Renaissance, right. Francis Bacon and conspiracies oh there. But God. The- now it's starting to make <laughs> sense. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's a. Ho- I mean, when you see the Guy Fawkes mask today, before that movie, it wouldn't mean much. Now everybody understands it. Yeah. So you see, that's a basic symbol. And it's interesting because true archetypes you cannot define. Mm. You can't say equals. You know, it's like equals this. The archetypes are much deeper. Yeah. You can kind of frame them. You can get a general feel. And they hit hard, but you can't absolutely define what that mask means. Mm. Try and put it in a paragraph. That's why it's perfect, because you can project yes. whatever upon it, right? Absolutely. If it was If it was defined, if it was limited, it would have limited usage. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that, that's a perfect example of a great archetype, because it's, it's powerful, mysterious, and somewhat vague. Subversive. Yeah, and subverse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these, these, getting back to the tarot, by understanding the major arcana, you begin to see, you know, when you can see the empress in Hollywood stars, Hmm. and this is an archetype, and then when you, you can go back and you can take her all the back, all the way back to Venus. So, you see how the really powerful archetypes are eternal. Hmm. Justice, the fool, the world. No, I mean, that, the symbol of the world. I mean, the world card is fascinating. You know, yeah. it's got the, the four fixed signs. It's got Jesus in the center. Oh, it's a very powerful. Is that Jesus powerful. in the center? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that comes from the famous paintings of Jesus with the um, um, the Vesica of Pisces, oh right, and then the four fixed signs of the zodiac. Right, we, right. But in the paintings, it would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, so on the card, they switch Jesus to a woman, and they put the the, the signs of the zodiac. But yeah, I mean that's okay. That's, that's, that's why I yeah. didn't get it. It was Jesus. I see. <laughs> right. But to understand, when, that's why I, I think the tarot is a great way to begin on this path because. Once you once you begin kind of trying to understand the major arcana, I, I had a moment when this was when I was writing the novel before the film, mm-hmm. when I understood to understand the major arcana, I've got to understand astrology and I didn't want to do it. Mm. I was like, I don't want to have to start learning the houses and the aspects. <laughs> you knew it was a demanding thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a moment I'll never forget. I was like, God, I don't want to have to learn all the aspects. <laughs> and I realized there's no way. If I want to really understand this, just the major arcana, I've got to understand astrology. Hmm. And that's why it, and the, yeah, the tarot can kind of suck you in that way. And like you say, it's kind, it's not, it's not so intimidating, but it will hmm. slowly drag you in and you'll wind up 
with because I think the the fool's path is really alchemic. Oh yeah, that's the fundamental myth there. And so so could one say that the fool represents the subject uh, that's going through all these phases? It's the materia prima. Yeah, the fool is the alpha and omega, the first and the last. Absolutely, because the fool really is the world, mm. but un- completely unconscious. Right. So you would say then the the microcosmos. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And by the time you go through that whole path, because I mean the fool really is each one of the major arcana in a different stage. Mm. Yeah, that was what I was getting at. Right. Okay. Perfect. Okay. And of course, uh, I'd say nine eleven, yes, tower. But what about hanged man? Did you see? Oh my God! Yeah, the yeah. guy. Have yeah, you seen the yeah. pictures? He he, he looks just like the hanged man. It's terrifying that picture. Even with the foot, with the leg. Yeah. yeah, the leg and the foot. Jeez, talk about life imitating art, huh? Oh my God! When I saw that, I, I have a real difficult time watching that because I, I, you know, I have family in New York and the whole thing, and and when I see that. That's probably the most disturbing image of all of the images for yeah, me yeah. because it totally is the hangman. And uh, imagine I have a deep ingrained, inborn fear of heights. <laughs> Full disclosure here, people. <laughs> it would be the most horrific. I'd rather burn at the stake God. than fall like that. I know. <laughs> so for me, it's a nightmare. It's, it's, yeah, it's terrifying. And you know what's interesting is that part of the path because you get the hanged man, and what's the next card? It's death. Hmm. Well, that's that, no, not so bad. Not so bad. I mean, um, the, the worst is over when the death is there, right? <laughs> right. But what's interesting is it, it's from you go from justice to the hanged man, hmm. and so that the hang when you reach that hanged man, that's when everything starts to turn around. Yeah. Literally. In the Matrix, it's the red pill moment. Right, right. And once you've made that transition, the old self dies. And remember, the fool is in the darkness. You know, then he gets to temperance, which isn't so bad. But then the devil, then the tower, the star, the moon. And then he's born again in the sun. Yeah. But that's the beginning of the dark path is is the hangman. Mm. There's a lot of alchemical basic symbolism going on here in the tarot. I mean, you have the chemical wedding. You right. Ha- you have the lovers. You know, you you first have to separate, then you have to uh, refine, and then you have to come back together. Exactly. And it's interesting because the Pythagoreans, we mentioned him, they were, they had this hang up on two dualism, binary. They said, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, they went as far as poetically describing it as evil. Obviously, when it's not going back to the one, it's going to the separation, right? Which is the. Mm-hmm. Which is cosmos expressing, it's, it's the unfolding cosmos, uh, it's a masculine side of cosmos where everything is disintegrating, is, is what the uh, Indians say when Brahma, Parabrahman breathes out, but then he breathes in the feminine, mm-hmm. and then everything is going back to the one again, fusion, right? Mm-hmm. So in two, you can have two as uh, quote unquote evil, where things are separated, and you can have two uh, where it's coming back together. And you see that in the devil, that's the illusion, that's 
the two being separated and you can see that in that they are in chains they're not free as in, in the lovers right right what's that uh, is it the moon uh, over the lovers or is it the sun i forget um, ah no that's well in the rider weight deck it's it's the angel oh it's yeah it's the angel but then the angel has replaced the devil by the devil yeah and that's why and those cards are opposite if you line the cards up 11 and 11 Right, mm. you go like what the opposite card? It's so fascinating. The opposite card of the of uh, of the devil is the lovers. Right, makes total sense. And the opposite card of the hierophant is the tower. All that oh, dogma, wow. yeah. All that dogma just boom wiped out. So it's kind of the same as in astrology in the zodiac. You can see opposites. You can see how they yes, you know, fulfill each other. Or so it is the same thing here, basically. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, for example, a lot of times if you're confused in astrology, you just look at the opposite sign. Mm. You know, what really is Gemini? Well, look at Sagittarius. Mm. You know, and, and the same with the cards. If you get lost, look at the opposite card. It will, in a lot of times, it'll make it clear. Like, if you don't really want to get the hierophant, like it's I, in the film, do you remember I use. I use the, uh, the 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 Communist Party meeting at the end <laughs> with Lenin, mm. and then and then in the opposite card I use you know Fight Club and Building Seven and all that stuff. Mm. So I try to and and those are both both of those sections have no voiceover. You know that was intentional. Mm. But couldn't you use this opposite principle to determine the right sequence? Yeah. But, and I did that a lot. Mm. I did that a lot. And some some of the some of the opposites are a little bit confusing. And I think remember we talked about where maybe the order is a little bit off. Mm. There were some times where it doesn't click, but where it does definitely click is with the hierophant and with the uh, with the tower mm. and with the devil and the lovers. I mean that's absolutely clear. Mm. Who's the opposite of the magician? Ah, that that's a fascinating one. That's the um, uh, judgment. <laughs> hmm. You know, the alchemist. And when you think of that, that concept of fire and judgment, hmm. and I use in the film, I use that film. Uh, what's the film? Uh, Mel- Melancholia. Remember at the end where the planet smashes in and blows them up? Hmm. It's that whole alchemic furnace. Is completely below that in judgment. That alchemic furnace of the magician just explodes in a thousand pieces. <laughs> right. Hey, who's the opposite of the hermit? Ah, right, right. That one actually works pretty well. It is quite interesting because that one is. So hold on. The middle. It's justice and the world. Right. Yeah. There we're at the middle. It's ten and eleven. Mm. justice in the world so if we go one back then we got to go to the hanged man so it's the hanged man ah they, they have something in common exactly because it's that introspection when you begin the introspection yeah that's when um that's when you get it and the isolation they're both isolated from the world exactly exactly right that that one is it is quite um yeah, it, it, but other of the combinations don't work so well. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Now, I've been seeing uh, some of your blog posts on uh, the link through the Amazon. You have a lot of interesting reading, but you're like a jack of many trades, as one says. <laughs> I'm a triple Gemini. <laughs> right, 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 right. So here we gave two examples of symbolism, jack of many trades, sure. triple Gemini, and they're both expressing the same thing. Yeah. But the thing is, uh, you have uh, different websites um, expressing your different stuff, right? It's not all in one. Yeah, yeah. I so you have your occultism. Let's go through this. You have the cactus land. Mm-hmm. Was- yeah, I have uh, most, I would say almost all of my writing you'll find on the cactus land. Okay. TheCactusLand.com. Right, TheCactusLand.com. And I have, I've written on on politics, um, finance, esoterics. I've written on zombies, cats. I've written on all sorts of things. And then I have the novels. So I have three novels. Yeah, let's go through them. Uh, All of them, yeah. So three, all your books so far are fiction, right? Right. The three novels, all all fiction. And that, that was kind of one of the reasons about this film. I was thinking of writing a nonfiction book about the tarot, but I, I think you might agree really good books on the tarot. You know, a lot of people ask me, recommend a great book on the tarot. Yeah. It's in alchemy. For example, alchemy has fundamental texts and then you can always wind up with young. Yeah. The Kabbalah has its fundamental texts. Yeah. Astrology has fundamental texts. I would say there really isn't a fundamental text. On astrology. You mean on the tarot? There's no... I mean, I'm sorry, I'm on the, on the tarot. But what about meditations on the tarot? Have you read that? Yeah, uh, that book I've read. And that is a fabulous book, but that's not an easy book to read. No, you're not for the beginners. I agree. Oh, my God. Yeah, I would, I would definitely not recommend that book for beginners. And it has a lot... It's very Christian. And nothing against Christian. I come from a, a very Catholic background. So for me, that part was easy. But I can see people. Yeah, but Christianity is just a language. It goes beyond, of course, that, right? Oh, yeah. But I can see a lot of modern people, mm. especially younger people who haven't been brought, haven't yeah. been raised in, yeah. say, a traditional kind of a Christian culture, that a lot of that, those references and those ideas, it, you know, it's a little bit like Robert Bresson. Remember, you know, the French director? A lot of those films, I think, for young people today. But but the reason is that uh, Tom Berg was a Martinist. Uh, that's like a right. Christian mystic kind of spiritual thing. So he used that uh, expression form. But I agree, there's not a standard in... On the other hand, there's a lot of lousy tarot books. Usually they are big, <sighs> full of pictures. <laughs> yes, there are lots of... And I don't want to name any names, but there are lots... <laughs> Of really bad tarot books. And the yeah. difference between a bad tarot book and an astrology cookbook is that, you know, if you're beginning to learn astrology, there are certain astrology cookbooks out there that you kind of need to read. Yeah. Because you just have to get used to what these things mean and you need a few keywords. But there's so much tradition in astrology that, you know, they generally can stay pretty centered. But in tarot, some of these tarot books, they just they just go off on crazy tangents. But you know what? I think that's actually an advantage to tarot, that it doesn't have a standard. It means maybe it helps it become more accessible. Yeah. Maybe it demands that you get a personal relation to it. You can't rely on like a, like a Bible or an answer book. I think especially for magicians, it helps. For example, chaos magicians. Hmm. 
can use the tarot in a way that they can't use astrology. Hmm. So, yeah, I think I could help. But when you really want to understand the fool's path, I, I think it's, it's a, it, it helps to be a little bit grounded. Yeah. And I can give an example. Justice. The whole platonic idea of the chariot, and you see that in, in the chariot card, and then you see it in – what does it mean to live the just life? Hmm. To understand – to just have that, that idea of – Plato's allegory of the chariot, it's crucial. Without that, the tarot doesn't really make any sense. Hmm. It becomes kind of mush. And a lot of people will get angry. Say, well, you know, Plato and, you know, you know I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, Plato is crucial. Hmm. I think to, to understanding Western culture, you have to understand Plato. And without Plato, does the tarot make any sense? I don't really think it does. Hmm. So I think that can work both ways. But I think from a from liturgies and ceremony and and types of magic, yeah, I think you're right. It it, it helps it. Hmm. Okay, going back to your three books, uh, mm-hmm. those are fictions or, or novels. But what's the subject uh, there? Is there like? You have, um, what's his name? There's a famous, um, mm-hmm. it's called Lost Love in Constantinople. Oh. It's a practical book for tarot. Have you heard about it? I cool. don't think so. Oh, you you know, there's two books I recommended you today. Mm-hmm. It's Selator and it's Lost Love in Constantinople. Now, this is by Milorad Pavic. Oh. He's a Serbian. Uh-huh. And on the face of it, it's a novel. The Adventure of a Serbian Cavalry Officer During the Napoleon Wars. Excellent. The novel comes with a pack of tarot cards, and the way they turn up determines the sequence in which the chapters should be read. It's amazingly experimental. Hmm. And you love it, probably. So, obviously, it's not that expressed, but I was just thinking maybe your books have some kind of uh, relation to these things. Yeah, the last novel I wrote, um, Your Love Incomplete, what I did was I told a story. <laughs> Do you know those stories from the beginning of like in the beginning of the in the 19 early 1900s, those esoteric novels like yeah. the White Brotherhood and those Gustav Meyrink. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All those. I love those novels. Mm. So I tried to write like a neo esoteric. Nice. You see. And that's what. And so I followed the major arcana. So the path of the fool through that, and I put in that whole idea of a secret brotherhood in an organization. You remember those from those books? Yeah, yeah. Because I loved those books. I just, I just ate those up. I, I call it occult pulp. Yes, yes, that's exactly, <laughs> exactly your loving complete. And I tried to make it a little bit pulpy, yeah. without too much. I, I kept the sex kind of under control, so it, I kept it almost like you know rated G. Uh, here, here's one thing I can tell already: the hero is called Arthur Edwards. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> That's a hint if there ever was one. <laughs> yeah. So it, 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 but I did that to to kind of capture that kind of pulpy. Yeah. And I have him work in marketing, so he's working in in a pyramid scheme. So he's a marketer for a pyramid scheme. Right, a pyramid scheme. And then he goes from marketing in a pyramid scheme to enlightenment. 
<laughs> and but, with but, but all my the... intuition wasn't that bad when I then evoked the book Lost Love in Constantinople because that's <laughs> built on tarot too, only much more expressed. Yours more suggestive, of course, but cool. Yeah. So that's something that uh, – do you think we could learn so- – is it more like if you know tarot, you recognize it? Or can you actually learn something about tarot reading this book? I, I would like to think that if you understand that each chapter mm-hmm. – follows the cards so there's 22 chapters i really make a point of for example just for an example the fool so it it at the end of the fool he sort of meets this guru guy and he takes off in a plane so i try and bring in the air with fool you you know what i mean Mm. and the hanged man who's often associated with water there's a lot of water and strangeness so Mm. yeah i think i think you can as long as you understand that it's a little bit subtle that it can work that way. Nice. And for example, the chapter the chapter on um, the Wheel of Fortune, I use the three fates. So he's with, for example, he's with his girlfriend, and she goes and buys some cloth. And then and then and then in the airport, somebody's measuring something. And then the last scene, you see a woman cutting a thread. No, right. <laughs> so I try and tie I try and tie that all in. Though. Right. The two other books, though. Yeah, the first one, Twilight Breakout, is more literary. It's it's kind of my first attempt at, at a literary novel. Mm. The the one that I think is probably the best is Cactus Land. Mm. That's is, is dist- that the last one? No, that's the middle one. Mm. That's pure sort of dystopian fiction. Oh wow, cool! That's the political side coming in there. But in a very not. In a, in a subtle way, because okay. it's just the whole thing. Imagine the whole thing just falls apart. Mm. And, and that, yeah, but there, yeah, there's definitely some politics in there. But I think if you, if someone read Cactus Land, they would have no idea what the politics were. Yeah. So we're not talking party politics or ideology per se. Right. But, but it's, it's more about social reality metaphor. Right. And at that, for example, I wrote that. While I was living in Madrid, this was around 2004, ah. 2005, and it was right after the attacks in 2003 in Madrid. Right. So I put that in, but it, but I have the king abdicate. Right. And then the yeah, po- but you know, a- George Orwell wrote his stuff after he was in Spain too, and the Civil War. <laughs> so yeah, there's a tradition for being inspired like that. And it's funny, I had the Pope abdicate. And it was interesting that later the Pope did abdicate. And I create – and it was interesting. There is one interesting thing <laughs> in there. Because that never happened. The abdication hasn't happened before or, or maybe once. And I had the Pope abdicate and I create this almost like this Arab Spring. Like there's this Arab oh, wow. Spring that's just all of this cultural conflict with Europe. But I wrote this in 2003, 2004, mm. 2005. It was like two or three years in that period where I wrote that novel. So, yeah, that I think that's – Life imitating art. Yeah, exactly. Mm. That, that I think is probably the most polished and the most interesting, and it's all based on dreams. And that, that's the one that would become a movie if any of them were to be yeah. filmatized. Mm. That would definitely be a movie. That, that could definitely be a movie. Okay. If there are any directors out there, I'll sell it cheap. <laughs> Speaking of directors, I'm talking to one, I understand, because when I Googled you, I also found, uh, uh, I don't know if that was you, or is there another director out there with your name? Ah, there's an Argentine director. He's got the same name, Roberto Bono. Oh, okay. So that has nothing to do with you. But uh, strangely enough, we share the same IMDb page. 
So when you go to the page, it's got both of us in there. So I, just, if people think it's me, that's it's, he's better looking than I am. He's better looking. I wonder than he's got which more, one uh, of you that's a detriment to. <laughs> Probably him. <laughs> I think I won out on that deal. <laughs> okay, well that's that's great. Um, but you are a filmmaker, and YouTube is the place to get your stuff today for that, right? Exactly. And the next film I'm I'm shooting for September. Um, September, October. So it'll be on the same, uh, it'll be on the same channel. Mm. So, um, do you have all the websites then cactus land on your Amazon page and your YouTube channel? Actually, there is one other one. It's called tarotjourneys.org. Mm. And that's the one where, cause I actually do tarot readings. Right. So, right. If someone's interested in a tarot reading, it's, it's actually, I do, what I do is, it's about 45 minutes. I take a quick look at someone's astro- astrology chart, mm. the natal chart, and then we do the reading. And it's $50. So it's mm. not like it's a fortune. Okay. And they, they can do that all over the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just do it on Skype. And I, it's really good if you have a real dilemma. I don't think it's the great option if you just want to general sort of explore. But if you're yeah. stuck and you have a really deep dilemma... A tarot reading can really help, yeah. and that's that's what I like to do. I don't really like doing general readings because it's dangerous. Mm. Yeah, I see you know? what you mean. You got to be careful. But when someone's stuck, is it A or B? The tar- a tarot reading can really help. Mm. Or, or maybe it's not always binary, but cast more light over the conundrum, right? Exactly. Finding pathways out of that. Yeah, I, I get that. Mm. You know. Yeah, that's great. By the way, Al, just to let you know. Yeah. If you ever want a tarot reading, it's on me, and uh, oh, cool. I'd love to do it. And I'd love to do tarot readings with people like you because it brings it to a different level. The cards really sing. So if you've ever got a, any kind of an issue, but I don't like to do general readings. So if you've got like a sure. specific issue, I'd more than happy to give you a reading. Okay, I'll take you up on that. Excellent. Mm. We'll we'll have fun with that. Mm, I think so. And you know your stuff, obviously. So if I'm going to go get reading, I want to go get from someone who understands tarot, not just like a dabbler who just yeah went to a new age uh, uh, fair and picked up. There's too many of them. And that's why I, I don't like to do astrology readings because I'm, I'm an okay astrologer, but I'm not a great astrologer. But with the cards, it's different. I kind of have that feel for them. And mm. uh and they they do seem to it does seem to work. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that the guy who wrote Last Love in Constantinople is the same author who wrote Dictionary of the Khazars. If you heard about that book, it's also ah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to have to look into this guy. I haven't read any of it. Yeah, and do look into Zelato too. It's a very thick book, and it's it's not it's like a it's written as a diary, mm-hmm. so it goes everywhere here there. It's not a book you necessarily read from A to Z. You, you could just kind of dive in. Yeah, you can even just open, open a page and see what it says. <laughs> but uh, no, it's pretty – I recommend it to everyone. Um, so, But of course, you, you you probably not have read it next time you talk because we're going to do another one pretty quick after that. But sure. uh, I'd like to see what you think about it in retrospective when you eventually get around to it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I just want to let people know that all the novels are free. So uh, are free? Yeah. On oh, wow. Smashwords. So just put in Robert Bonomo Smashwords and they're free. So you can get them as a PDF, as a Mobi, and as an EPUB. 
Right. You can the free downloads. And and you're a traveler. You've been all over the world. Oh my God! I've lived in Argentina. I've lived and worked. So no, really, I've lived and worked in Argentina, Spain, on the West Coast in the Bay Area, in Silicon Valley, New York, Miami. I lived in Madrid. I've lived in Russia and China. So I've lived in a lot of places. And now you're moving to. I have a, a new job in Tunisia. But that's probably the best of those countries to be in, I think. It's very interesting. My Many, many years ago, I lived in Cartagena, Spain. Mm. And Cartagena is Cartaganova, Carthage, new Carthage. And right. now I'll finally go to the old Carthage. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well. Okay, that will be interesting. I hope you, uh, yeah, it's a modern country. You'll get a good uh, line there too, right? So. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, I'll, I'll have a decent, I'll have a decent internet down there, and I can keep working. Okay. It'll be an experience, though. Yeah. Sure. Well, I guess I won't see you in Spain after all, then. Yeah, I, I don't think so. But hey, maybe we'll see each other in Carthage. <laughs> Old Carthage. <laughs> yeah, at least we can meet at the archetypal level. Absolutely, and um, you know, I was at um, a culture, a culture Berlin, the conference last year. Oh, which was yeah, I presented the film there, and so uh, who knows, maybe we can meet at one of those conferences. Yeah, well, we'll stay in touch. Absolutely, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Let's see, have we covered all today? Well, we've covered a lot. <laughs> yeah. We'll never cover everything. Um, and I have to put restraints on myself not to get too political today. Um, exactly. By the way, I hope I didn't talk too much. No, no. I think this is exactly what I was hoping for, that we could have a conversation. I really much more enjoy this. Thing. Right. I, I tried holding myself back. But, you know, what Al Pacino said, every time I try to get out, they keep dragging me back in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was great. Yeah, I think we're doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we were dancing all over the place but that's okay most people won't be too familiar with this stuff so they would prefer this light take absolutely and uh, we've been touching a lot of stuff like i said to you in the break i said uh, as long as we touch most bases i think it's good to go a little here and there yeah sure as, as long as we can cover everything why do we have to go linear i mean who says we have to do things in a linear way right <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I find that so boring, too. You know, when it's like I, I've done these radio shows where they have the list of questions. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and then when you have the commercial breaks, oh, mm-hmm. it's pain. It's like going to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And, and so you being a thrice Gemini, you had no problem with my little interjections. And, sure. you know, you were tangoing pretty well there. <laughs> that always makes for a great show. By, by the way, what sign are you? My sun sign is Pisces. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What's your ascendant? <laughs> I'll tell you after this is done. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we queue out. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Okay, man. Hey, it was really, I really enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, me too, man. And we'll be in touch. You absolutely. Okay. Have a great evening. You too, man. Take care. Good night, Al. Bye. And again, we thank Robert for participating in this show, which is one of many where we are going to explore the the deeper mystique of life that I hope you appreciate. And, And it's very important, actually, that if you do prefer this line of programming, I mean, it's not that you're going to choose, but... 
If you enjoy it uh, genuinely, you better help us spread it because these shows tend not to get so much um, attention and therefore it is important to reach that segment of the audience who actually are into this so we can build up our audience more diverse where is going to be room for i mean probably nobody will enjoy all our lines of programming but there's going to be room for the different types of avenues we explore and therefore also the different types of listeners who have their own preferences and what they find interesting and what you don't care about at all you don't have to listen to but it's like life we're not marrying one aspect of it we're trying to encompass as many as possible so this year we're going to do like i have said before a little politics and a little spirituality and we're going to also revisit many of the series the different topics they explore and they will of course be uh, continued in, in in the further future too uh, just like these tracks we're giving priority to now before i leave i will as customary uh, share with you a few relevant quotes melissa sinova or kainova i don't know how you pronounce her name said in every deck the fool is in a precarious position think of all the idioms we have for taking chances going out on a limb winging it break a leg going for broke these all sound really painful but what's but what they're about is deciding that being still is not for you when you see this in a reading you'll know it's time to jump And she said, that kind of swagger, the I got it energy, that's the magician. You see this card a lot with successful people or with people who've just found the correct path in their life and have just had their eureka moment. He's President Barack Obama, backed by the P-Funk All-Stars. Just sit down, kiddo, he's got this covered. Tom Quackenbush said, The hermit is an important tarot card with much to tell us, but he tends not to be so welcome around the bonfire. Annie Bishop said, In archetypes there is the nurturer and the warrior, different kinds of strengths that ideally complement each other and are equally respected. Philip Sankt Genot said, Tarot is a card game that you don't play to win or lose. If there's a winner, it's the player who discovers the value of play itself. Teresa Francis Chung said, Divination is the quest to understand more about the past, present and future. In other words, tarot readings are an attempt to understand ourselves better and discover how we might live better in the future. The cards give you images and symbols to focus your vague intentions and transform them into actions. Your will is the magic. In other words, you are the magic. If you can create something in your heart and then act on it to make it happen, that is magic. Very simple, very straightforward. No witches, no spells and no broomsticks. Charles Williams 
It's said that the shuffling of the cards is the earth, and the pattering of the cards is the rain, and the beating of the cards is the wind, and the pointing of the cards is the fire. That's of the four suits. But the greater trumps, it's said, are the meaning of all process and the measure of the everlasting dance. Nikita Dudani said, Tarot reading is an art based on intuition, interpretation and perception. Sasha Graham said, books are like tarot decks. They provide answers and guidance, but more importantly, they are doorways and portals to the other world and the imagination. They leave their imprint and keep whispering to us long after we close the pages or shuffle the deck. We tarot lovers tend to be the sensual sort. We trade in shadow and gloom because we are willing to brave the literal and figurative darkness. Dan Brown Originally, tarot has been devised as a secret means to pass along ideologies banned by the church. And the famed rocket scientist Jack Parsons said, Remember that the tarot is a great and sacred arcanum. Its abuse is an obscenity in the inner and a folly in the outer. It is intended for quite other purposes than to determine when the tall dark man will meet the fair rich widow. Arthur Edward Waite said, The true tarot is symbolism. It speaks no other language and offers no other signs. Muni Sadhu said, Man creates the link between nature and archetype. John Favreau, the director, said, Between the theme parks and the movies, the Disney iconography was probably the first set of archetypes that I was exposed to. Walt was able to expose me as a child to the full array of emotions, including fear and sorrow. Those movies and attractions haunted my dreams and made a deep impression on me as a child. Marco Tempest said, The tricks of magic follow the archetypes of narrative fiction. There are tales of creation and loss, death and resurrection, and obstacles that must be overcome. Mania James Keenan said, Most religious stories are mythology, and mythologies have some sort of similar root, some sort of global archetypes. And finally, Carl Jung said, the collective unconscious consists of the sum of the instincts and their correlates, the archetypes. Just as everybody possesses instincts, so he also possesses a stock of archetypal images. Now, yesterday, I stayed up past midnight for a poker game with tarot cards. I, I played like a magician with a full house, where the table fool was a joker. One man hanged himself and another sold out to the devil. That's it for today. Thanks for listening, for your support and to my team. I've been your host Al. And until next time... Be seeing you.
who is number one?